Lord, we love you. And we call to mind again that same psalm that says, we can call on you in our hour of need, and you'll deliver us, and you'll get glory for yourself. It's our good and your glory, as the saying goes. Thank you that that's the economy of the kingdom. It's our good and your glory. And we thank you for this means of grace called the Word of God. What a gift. We are not left in this world not knowing what you think about things or what your stories are or what you value. There are much or there are many mysteries in following you, but what we've needed, you've given us. So we thank you for this means of grace, and we also receive the Spirit. It's Word and Spirit. So we need the Word, and we need it to be combined with faith. And Jesus, you said that you're looking for people who will worship you in spirit and in truth. And so we just say yes to the Word and to the Spirit. Prepare our hearts to hear what you want to do today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Our love for God is most tested when we are in an hour of darkness. Isn't that true? Our love for God is most tested when we're in an hour of darkness. I had a few dark moments this week. Actually, I was telling Kelsey, man, I was, there were a few days where I was feeling dark, dark, and I said, well, I haven't really felt this bad actually in a while, since about middle of 2014. And part of it was just post-holiday blues. Maybe we encountered that. Part of it was I was sick. Our whole family was sick. And then Monday and Tuesday, I was just out. I was just in bed. And this is Kelsey being awesome. She allowed me to be in bed, even brought soup to me <laughs> and uh, orange juice. Um, and part of it was New Year's. You know, honestly, New Year's comes around, and I, I still have not... Um, I, I always just feel like there's a party going on that I'm not invited to, like just in general, like in life, and then it just is accentuated at New Year's. So there's some, just some dark moments there. But it's in those dark moments where we really, our, our love for God is tested. And actually, in this kind of dark moment, what came to mind was a quote from Keller. A lot of you know Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City. And he says this, and, and his, his, um, this is coming from a church planting manual, so it's more addressed to Christian leaders, but I actually think that this quote is applicable to every single follower of Jesus here. So listen to what he says. He says, Christian leadership, but I would say this, all Christian leaders, or all Christians, in all its aspects means you have to tell people every day, God is so wonderful. This usually is not something you have to do daily in other walks of life. Again, I would challenge that and say, you believers working and going to school, People are looking to you. But in the ministry, you have to be pointing people in one way or another to God to show his worth and beauty. But seldom will your heart be in a condition to say such a thing with integrity. I might modify that and say, hey, there's some tough days. Maybe some days it's hard to say that. You then have two choices. Either you have to watch your heart far more closely, warming it up continually so you can preach to people what you're practicing. Ooh. Ouch. Or you put on a ministerial face and air and become something on the outside that you are not on the inside. So what do you do when your heart is not warm towards God? What do you do when you're wondering, God, are you wonderful? And I actually want us all to close our eyes for a moment. Okay, I'll do it up here too. Let's close our eyes (laughs) and just put yourself 
in your bed, you're uh, at night, your thoughts from the day are kind of swirling in there. And I want you to imagine, do you believe that God really can help you in whatever your problem, your issue, or your area of darkness is? And your integrity with yourself really matters. Do you believe that God really can help you in that issue or that problem or that loneliness or whatever that you're facing? Do you think that God wants to help you? You just think about that for a second. Peel off the layers of self-consciousness because we're all looking at each other and just go there for a second. When you're ready, you can look back up. The psalmist, likely David, in Psalm 57 says this. He says, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. As you ask yourself, God, do I believe you can help me? Let's begin to inject Psalm 57 into your stream of thoughts. And um, if you have a Bible, that's where we're at. If you don't, that blue sheet um, has the Psalm on one side and a little data on the other side that I'll share with you. Actually, I'll do that right now. On the back of that blue sheet, you know, we, we're not projecting right now, so I went way old school. I actually pulled out a Sharpie. And I just want to give us first a little context for this psalm, likely written by David and likely written when he was hiding in a cave. And I just want to give you the little, um, don't get too distracted by all the writing, but you can just follow the numbers real quick, but to bring you into the context here, because if you're like me, we look at Scripture and it just seems like it was such another time and another land that it's hard to appreciate maybe how real it is. But so David's situation is this. He has been anointed king, but he's not yet the king. Saul is still the king of Israel. And actually, David's gotten really famous because he beat Goliath, right? And actually, Saul has invited him into his palace. He's invited him actually also to become his son-in-law. He's married Saul's daughter named Michael, Michal. I guess. <clears throat> and David's in, but Saul and all his conflictedness, he's very insecure. Saul is very jealous of David because of how he routed Goliath and other things. And Saul starts to act crazy with him and starts to like want to pin him against the wall and stuff like that. So as you follow the numbers here, one, David escapes to Ramah, which is where the prophet Samuel who anointed him is. And he's, you know, kind of, they have a good time in God's presence there. You can read that in First Samuel 19. David comes back to Jerusalem to talk to Jonathan, Saul's son, and David's very close friend. 
and said, to find out, is this thing real? Is Saul really after me, your dad? And Jonathan is like, yes, he's really after you. You better get out of here. So from there, David heads to, so now we're at three, he heads to Nob. There's a temple there at Nob. And David's hungry. So he asks the priest, Ahimelech, can I have some of that bread? And it's the bread of the presence. It's the show bread. It's basically the precursor to this. It's like the communion bread of the Old Testament. And Ahimelech says, okay, you can eat that. And David says, hey, by the way, do you have any weapons on you? He's like, well, I don't. I just happen to have the sword of Goliath that you won when you killed Goliath. So David says, can I have that? Sure. Okay, so he gets the sword, and then he does that long journey. Look at number four, and he's all the way out to uh, Gath, right? And that is um, not an Israeli stronghold. That's where the Philistines are. These are enemies of Israel. And David, actually, he's a pretty good... um, he ad-libs pretty well because he ends up feigning insanity. He just pretends he's insane so the king of Gath doesn't kill him. And then David finally kind of settles down. You see number five there. He finds a cave, this place called Adullam. And Adullam means refuge, but there's a, a hill that's about 450 feet high, and it's got large caverns in it. So people say, yes, about 200 or 300 or 400 people could fit there. And um, that's where he is. And it's in this place where David likely penned Psalm 57. A little context. Just to know that this wasn't just a guy on a harp writing a nice poem. He was in a cave, scared for his life, and everything was topsy-turvy for him. He was in a dark hour. Because as we're going to find out today, it's in my dark hour is God's hour of power. Right? For David, his dark hour became God's hour of power. We're going to see that today. The other context I need to put here is just, and you can turn back just to the psalm side on that blue sheet. This is a psalm, which means it's just part of the hymn book of the, of the uh, Jewish people. After you know, years of history, including the David story, the, the worship leaders, the Jennas and the uh, Melanie and Bills and the, you know, of the day, they started to gather the songs together. And this is one of them. And so when you look at those directions on the front, like what in the world is this going on? Like the very first um, thing there says, so to the choir master, right? This is, uh, some guy has, has found David's psalm and has kind of put it together. And it's that do not destroy is probably a title of a song. But that title of that song, do not destroy, it likely comes from something that Moses prayed. And one thing that Moses prayed, this is before David, is Moses prayed God, when, when God was mad at the Israelites, he said, Moses interceded one hand between the people and God, and Moses said, don't destroy them. Please don't destroy them. And David is likely kind of getting into that vibe saying, oh God, let me not be destroyed. A miktam, that's just a word that means a poem or a writing, as it says, when he fled from Saul in the cave. And so we get into it. Be merciful to me, O God. Verse 1, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. A couple of thoughts there. In the shadow of your wings. That's just an absolutely beautiful image. And like the do not destroy theme, it was probably an image that started with Moses. When Moses was finishing things up with the people of Israel and saying, I'm done. You guys go to the promised land. He sings a song, and one of the songs he sings is he sings about how beautiful it is when an, a bird 
is training his or her young to fly, they take them literally on their wing. So their little, the little egret or whatever will come on their wing and they fly. And the bird is not yet, the baby bird is not yet quite able to fly, but, but the mother bird has them right on their wings so that they can learn how to fly. Isn't that a great image? It's that imagery in the shadow of your wings. God, he's not letting you just figure it out on your own. He is, he is, he's got you right on his wing. On your wing, he's got you under his wing. It's in the shadow of your wing. God puts you. He loves you being in the shadow of your wing. When you're in your hour of darkness, God makes it an hour of power. And he does it by putting you in the shadow of his wing. And then as it says, till the storms of destruction pass by. And isn't it true with you and me that when things stink, they really stink? When the hour is dark, it's really dark because there's like seven things that are happening. Think about David. David in that cave, he was on the track to become the leader of Israel, but now the one guy who could kind of deal with that is after him. That's annoying. He's got this great friendship with Jonathan, and now that friendship is in jeopardy or it's getting changed, it's altered because David's having to flee. And he just, David and Jonathan really had a close relationship. And that must have been hard for him. Third, I mean, D- David is just simply running for his life. You know, Saul's made it clear, I want to kill you. I mean, I don't think few of us can relate with that. I mean, I don't know if anyone's actually been pursued by someone that angry or upset. And then I wonder what it was like with David's family. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But there's multiple things going on. Isn't that how it works for us? We find out someone in our family is very sick, you know? We, we, um, we yell at our kids and then we get the heating bill, and it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> how are we going to do this? And then the guy cuts you off when you're trying to just merge onto 128 in normal fashion, and you just can't do it. Right? It all happens at once, and it gets dark, doesn't it? It can get dark pretty quick, and it's in that hour of darkness that God wants to make an hour of power. Okay, it happens. There's multiple storms that come by. Moving on, verses 2 and 3. Let's look at verse 2. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. We'll just stay there at verse 2. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. This is actually, to me, probably the most encouraging phrase of the entire psalm. Because no matter what's going on, I've got a guarantee that God is somehow going to make sense of it, right? I cry out to God most high, and that title for God just means what it says. He's higher He's up here, we're down here. And even that, God, you're most high, I'm not. You've got the 10,000 foot view, I don't. I can trust you. In my hour of darkness, you can turn into an hour of power. I don't feel like it right now, but I trust you that you're God most high and I'm not. So you're on top. I'll believe in you. And I love this, you know, David's assurance is to God who fulfills his purpose for me. God, even though it feels like all these things that I'm trying to get done, are not getting done right now, you're going to have your way with me. You are going to do it. It reminds me of what Paul says in Philippians 1.6. Remember what he says? He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And that word fulfill, God fulfills his purpose for you. It means he's going to bring it to an end. He's going to accomplish it. He's going to perfect it. He's going to execute it. And it even has ties to the word avenge. God is going to avenge the things that the enemy and the world and the flesh and everything are doing against you. God wants to get vengeance on those things, and he will do it. 
Because I don't know about you, but for me, the thing that adds the dark to the dark is that I start to panic, and the panic is, oh no, without this money, how is this going to happen? Or without this relationship being resolved, how will everything happen that I want to happen? Right? We start to, it's dark already, and then it gets double dark because we think, how is this going to work out? Right? I'm frustrated. I, I don't see this working out well. But God says, I'm going to fulfill my purpose for you no matter what. And frequently in God's economy, it's I'm going to fulfill this thing actually right through this very challenge, right? Right through this hour of darkness, watch me turn it into an hour of power. That's how God works. Amen? Okay. How does he do it? Well, let's get to verse 3. This is where it gets fun. (coughs) Anyone having fun yet? I'm having having fun. (laughs) Okay. I think the word of God is pretty cool. All right. Verse 3, he says, he will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame he who tramples on me. Saleh, which just means pause or interruption. Saleh. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. It seems like a really odd place for a saleh, but it's there in the middle of the thought. Okay. Thank you, writers. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame he who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Let's remember things, people. God can do stuff, right? Can God do stuff? He can, and what he does is he sends forth from heaven. It, it literally, it's, he looses from heaven things. And guess what? He can do bad stuff to bad people, <laughs> and he can do good stuff, right? He can do bad and good. It's awesome. What I mean is he can do bad stuff to our enemies. He can put to shame those who would swallow us up. That whole, that trample picture is a picture of getting swallowed up. And again, when I get panicky, it's because I think, how's this thing going to turn out well? It's too much for me. I'm getting swallowed up by my own darkness. God, what are you going to do? And what he says is, I can send from heaven. I'll lose something somewhere, and I'll deal with things that are going to trample you, okay? Do you believe that today? Do you believe that God wants to turn your hour of darkness into his hour of power? Because the word says he can, and we're people of the word and the spirit. I remember when Kelsey had um, gotten an accident. When we were dating, Kelsey got in an accident. When she was in college, I won't tell you how old I was. So... She was in an accident. I came to the scene, actually, to help her. And, um, and so, so, you know, Massachusetts is an inter- interesting place because if you hit someone from behind, you're just automatically at fault. But the person who Kelsey did hit from behind was doing something so illegal. They were just making a legal left turn. So it was a little bit complex. But Kelsey, um, just because, you know, being involved in a whole, like, traffic court thing was new to her, she didn't quite follow up in the ways that she needed to as kind of the paperwork was coming at her from all, all ends. So anyways, this whole thing ends up at this court date. We're married now, okay? So a lot of time has passed. And this guy who got rear-ended by her is pursuing her to the full extent of the law. And he's just, it's ridiculous because he was the one who was pulling an illegal turn and he was using the situation. He was trying to, it's just what, you know, it's what is wrong with our legal system today. People take advantage of it to do harm instead of get justice. And so I remember us praying and saying, God, lose something from heaven here. We're about to get trampled by this person who has this whole record of doing this to people. He has a whole record of getting in accidents. And interestingly enough, this is, okay, Lord, have mercy on me. But just character-wise, he's always with a different woman. He was with a different woman in the car every time he's getting these accidents. We have this whole history of him being with different people and then um, getting in accidents and being aggressive. And so we're getting ready to to have the court date, and we're asking, God, please um, bring justice here because this is just an abuse of the system. 
And, um, you know, God was good. He, he didn't show up. And because he didn't show up, the statute of limitations passed, and we were free. <laughs> so I, I took that. I said, thank you, God. I took that as a deliverance from him, that God got this guy off our back. So God can do that. He sends from heaven, and he swallows the enemies that are after you. So he looses bad stuff to our enemies, and then look what he does. He does good stuff too. God will send his steadfast love and his faithfulness. God will send to you in your hour of darkness. He'll turn it into an hour of power, and he'll do it by sending his faithful love, his steadfast love. That word is so rich, has said in Hebrew, it's his zealous love. Ooh, the closest thing I can think of is just my kids. You know, there's a zealous love. My love isn't passive towards them. It's zealous and it's active and it's, I love you and I want you to make it and I want you to be fully who God's called you to be and that's how God feels about you. His love towards you, his faithful love is zealous and his faithfulness. And there, that faithfulness indicates his, his truth, his stability, his uh, reliability. God is just historically reliable. He's never messed up. We may feel like it, but he's, he's faithful. And that's what he's sending to you. He's sending to you his faithfulness and his loyal love. Amen? Ooh, let's get going. This is good. <laughs> okay, what else as we continue to meditate on this Psalm 57? <clears throat> then verse 4, uh, and, and let this... Let this um, let you, may you identify with this in your hour of darkness, right? My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. It's words that often hurt the worst, isn't it? It's words that often hurt the worst. And that fiery beasts, the idea there is... Um, you know, all I could think of was some fantasy, like, uh, video game, like Fiery Beast. But it's not that. It's Fiery Beast, people who are sh- kind of shooting fire out of their mouths. But I guess that's pretty fantasy, isn't it? But what I'm trying to say is that the whole thought is the same there. The thought that David's saying is that people who with their mouths are attacking me. Let's appreciate David here in the cave. I wonder, and I actually can't wait to get to heaven to find out what the conversation was like. You know who came to David as he got in that cave? 1 Samuel 22 indicates that about 400 people came to join him, people who were in debt and discouraged and just a bad crowd. But the other people who came to him were his family. David was concerned for his family because they weren't safe in Jerusalem or Bethlehem because Saul was on a tear. And Saul, if he couldn't find David, you know how the, sh- how the television show goes. I'm, you know, I'm going to get your family, right? I'm, you know how that, I'll get your family and I'll mess with you. So his family comes to join him. And I wonder what his dad said to him there. Because remember, the last time we saw Jesse, his dad, his dad was saying, here are my sons. One of them is king to Samuel. Which one? Oh, the worthless one, David, the one in the field. You want to see him too? In other words, Scripture indicates that David's relationship with Jesse wasn't the best father-son relationship. So imagine dad... Jesse, trekking up to this cave in Agilom, David, what the heck are you doing? I thought you were supposed to be king. And now I'm on the run because what's going on here with you and Saul? Why aren't you pleasing him in the kingdom? What's wrong? Is your music bad? Are you, you know, I can just imagine that conversation. All of a sudden, David's responsible for everyone's welfare and his dad and mom aren't probably real happy about it. You know what I'm saying? 
And so there's fiery beasts. There's people with their words attacking. Isn't that, isn't that how the devil works with you and me? It's someone will just say a side comment and it happens to nail that little insecurity you had. just explodes and becomes a major insecurity. So David acknowledges that. And then, what I think is the most amazing, look at what David says. He'll say this refrain. It's in verse 5. He'll say it again in verse 11. To me, this shows how convinced David is that God wants to turn his hour of darkness into an hour of power of God. And that he says, be exalted, O God, right? Above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Lord, turn my hour of darkness into your hour of power. And again, this is probably the thing that made David such an awesome candidate for leading Israel is because David knew something. David knew that God liked to deliver him. Okay, David knew that God enjoyed coming into his hour of darkness and turning into an hour of power. Do you and I believe that? Right, that's the question we looked at right at the beginning. Do you believe? I don't always believe it. I want to believe it more. Do we believe that God likes to come into our hour of darkness and make it an hour of power? Again, he said it explicitly in Psalm 50, verse 15. It says, this is God speaking. He says, call to me, I'll deliver you, and you'll glorify me. What a great situation. Do we believe it in our heart of hearts? Do we call on God in our hour of darkness, realizing that he does want to turn it into an hour of power? Verse 6, then. Let's look at verse 6. And this is kind of the deliverance proper. Somehow God does something here. We're not exactly sure what happened, but David kind of recounts here. Hey, they set a net for my steps. Probably Saul and his followers are trying to get him. My soul was bowed down, right? My heart, my will, my, uh, my, my um, thinking, my mind, my will, my emotions are bowed down, having a hard time. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. This is the expression that comes from there, Right? That, that familiar expressions with a lot of expressions in our language, they come from Scripture. Here's, here's this one, right? They fell into the, the pit that they dug for themselves. It's unclear exactly what God did in that moment. But I can tell you this, the rest of Samuel says that David's family does find a safe place. And of course, we know the whole story that David eventually does become the king of Israel. But here's something I want to underline here for us in this moment. And that is that I, I looked... Um, as exciting as this would be maybe for all of us here. I just looked into some systematic theology books because I was looking for a doctrine. And I was like, is there a doctrine of basically like the triumph of the believer? And uh, in the way that I'm, I'm, I'll get to right here in a second. <clears throat> and I couldn't find it. I, I was kind of looking and there, there's strong doctrine on us being in Christ and Christ being in us, kind of the hope of glory, just the Christ in us deal. But there's not quite what I was looking for. And this is what I was looking for. I'll tell you. I was looking at Genesis 3, where remember what God says after the fall. He says that he, of man, of mankind, he says, he shall bruise your head. He's speaking to the devil, the serpent. He says, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna bite our heel, but we'll crush your head, right? Man, humankind, through Jesus, will crush, um, will bruise Satan's head. Psalm 23, what does it say? It says, you prepare a table before me. Where? In Walmart? 
at McDonald's? No, in the presence of my enemies. Okay, so right in that place, in the hour of darkness, right in that place where you're the most wounded or the most hurt, that's where God's going to set up the banquet, right? And then we get this, the trap that they set, they fell into themselves. And then Paul said it. There's Jenna. She's not there. Where are you? Jenna, you're over there. I love that you reference this verse. Because what does Paul say? Paul describes this thorn he's got in his side. And he's totally referencing judges there. That was the whole thorn in the side reference is when the people of Israel were coming to take the land and they didn't quite get everyone because of their sin. God said, hey, just so you guys know, since you didn't do everything I said, it's going to come back to bite you a little bit. There's going to be a thorn in your side. Paul uses that language to describe his own experience. He says, I prayed three times, God, deliver me from this thing, whatever it is. You don't know what the issue is. Paul said, deliver me. And Jesus' response to Paul, as it's recorded in 2 Corinthians, is, my grace is sufficient for you. Because, get this, it's not just that my grace is sufficient, but my power is made perfect in your weakness. Is that good news today? That means that in your hour of darkness, God wants to turn it into his hour of power. It's not just you're going to get by in your hardship. It's going to be you're going to dominate. You're going to overcome, okay? In that place where you experience darkness, you're going to just soar. And you can believe me for that. Not without a fight, not without some, some skin in the game and stuff like that. But, man, it's a very place that God wants you to overcome. Okay, I'll, I'll share on that in a second. And so then we get to this last, these verse 7 through 10. Let's, let's, we'll bring this home here as we get ready to take communion. And we have this renewed intimacy, right? David experiences some sort of deliverance. For me and my family on New Year's Day, it was that friends of us, that we, friends of ours called us. You know, I was kind of having a dark day and we, we didn't arrange anything. It was very spontaneous. But friends called and said, hey, will you hang out with us? And we hung out with them, and it just is what my soul needed. We just had quality conversation, and um, it got me out of my own little funk, and I was so glad. And um, so even the little deliverance has come. And then we get delivered, and then look. Look at the intimacy here. Look at the renewed intimacy between David and the Lord, verses 7 to 10. My heart is steadfast, O God. I'm renewed. My heart is steadfast. I'll sing. I'll make melody. Awake my glory. It means awake myself. It means awake my kidney and my liver, but that's weird. So ESV doesn't write that. They say, they mean awake like my inner man is kind of the understanding there. When they say words like liver and kidney, they mean the seat of your emotions. Because everyone knows we feel with our kidneys, right? I love you. You're wonderful. (laughs) Okay. Anyways, awake, liver, awake my glory. Like awake myself, get up. Just David's pumping himself up. Awake, O harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn, meaning I'm going to get up and seek you, and I'll awaken the dawn. Dawn's, again, the time of deliverance. We actually talked about it last Sunday because, you know, dawn is when the armies come to invade. So I'm going to awaken the dawn. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to see deliverance. I'm going to watch God deliver me. I will give thanks to you, Lord, among the goyim, among the peoples, the nations. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds, and then the refrain, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. This renewed intimacy, and it's so awesome. David believes with all of his heart that his hour of darkness is God's hour of power. So, a couple of things that I just want to address before we end, and we've already addressed them a little bit. And the first is, 
you know, does God really help us in the hour of darkness? Can he really turn my hour of darkness into an hour of power? Again, as I indicated, David did eventually become the king of Israel. God turned his hour of darkness into an hour of power. He ended up from being the chased to being the chaser. Uh, He ended up from being the pursued to being the pursuer. God gave great victory to him. We look, of course, to Jesus and his hour of darkness. The crucified one becomes the resurrected one. And as we meditated on during our worship time, he will be the victorious one, right? Jesus is coming back with power and greatness. And I have to say, I think of people, like there are certain stories that come to mind, especially on this, this, this new doctrine I'm going to write, somehow of like the believer overcoming right in that spot of, of weakness. And I think of someone like Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson passed away recently, within the last few years. But do you remember who he is? Chuck Colson was, he's from this area, actually. He's from the uh, Boston area. He was a go-get-em lawyer, right, you know, ris- rose to fame. He became high up in Nixon's administration, and he was just kind of ruthless. He, he would bend the law as much as that would bend to, to get people. And sadly, he broke the law. He was a part of the whole Watergate scandal, right? The Republicans breaking into the Democrats' office, and he was a part of that. So he goes to jail, and he goes to jail for... Uh, quite a while, um, and I've just forgotten the length of time, so I won't exaggerate or make it up. So he goes to jail, and it's there where he meets Jesus. And he comes out of jail, a different man, and one of his legacies is, of course, a large organization called Prison Fellowship, right? There's this whole ministry. Just look at that. Chuck Colson, Hour of Darkness. God turns into a great hour of power. There's a whole ministry that's just unbelievable uh, as far as how powerful it is and how it affects those who are in prison, people coming to Christ. Chuck Colson, and speaking of his legacy, who was one of his protégés, but if not one of the most prominent voices in, in, uh, in, in, in the Christian world today, Eric Metaxas. Some of you know him because Eric Metaxas wrote the, the Bonhoeffer um, biography that's so famous right now. Eric Metaxas was a protégé. So I'm just... Just saying that God, if God can do it with Chuck Colson, a hard man, and he can do it to you, what's your darkness? God wants to invade it. He wants to turn it to an hour of power. And that legacy is going to go on and on. It'll have ripples effects like it did with Chuck Colson. Lastly, before we enter in communion, the question is about how. How do I do it? Let's say I'm in an hour of darkness right now. How do I make it an hour of power? Well, of course, it's God who does it. But I would just say simply, let's look a little bit at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? In his hour of darkness. One, you just invite God in, right? Jesus took some time and said, help. And that's what you do. You say, help. And if you need some vocabulary for help, that's why we're doing the Psalms again. Psalms are good vocabulary for help. If you don't know what to pray, you go to Psalm 57. There's a whole set of similar Psalms that are cries for deliverance. That can be your vocabulary. But you invite God in. The second thing you do is you invite some, some other people in. Jesus did. He invited the disciples in. They fell asleep. So you can't control how other people respond, but it always helps to invite others in. Right? I'm hurting right now, as I said to my wife. Kelsey, I'm feeling really dark, just so you know. <laughs> Can I have some soup? Thank you. You know, just that the act of inviting someone in is helpful. You'll get to do that right now, actually, as we take communion. And then the other thing, though, of course, is there's something, there's something about submitting to the process too. You know, Jesus said, not your will 
excuse me, not my will, but yours be done. If you're like me, a lot of times when I get into an hour of darkness, I start to scramble. Let me make something happen. Let me do. And there's instead, Scripture seems to indicate there's a, Lord, have your way in this posture that really sets things free. We stay in it, right? What was David's thing was in that verse 1 was, until the storms of destruction pass by. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 6. He said a hundred times, he says, stand, stand firm. That whole putting on the armor part, he says, stand, stand, stand. When you've done all, stand. Sometimes you just stay in the darkness and you stay in and you invite God in, invite others in and you say, God, have your way while I'm in this. I trust you to get me out in the right way in the right time. God is more excited than you are about turning your hour of darkness into his hour of power. 